Christmas Eve, the Christmas story. Wow, when I think about it, across these islands, across the Pacific, to the mainland, and across our nation, and the other direction, across Asia, all the way to the Middle East where your daddy is. People are celebrating the coming of Christ into this world. And it is the story that is told again and again. And we never tire of it because it means everything to us. The story was told by the gospel writers. Luke, in his account, which Cal and Lydia read earlier, tells the story of Mary, how the angel appeared to her and told her that she, a virgin, would be privileged to give birth to the Christ child. Goes on to tell how she and Joseph made their way south to Bethlehem. The birth in the stable, the coming of the shepherds. Matthew, on the other hand, he tells the story of the angel coming to Joseph. And then he skips forward to the Magi and expresses what they came to bring to this newborn king. Well, this is how he describes it in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Nine verses. And I don't know if you noticed, but there were three times that star was mentioned in those verses. And then the 10th verse has the fourth mention of the star. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. These wise men, these magi that had come all the way from Persia following that star, when they found the child, they were overjoyed. This Christmas season, when those who've eagerly awaited for Star Wars, The Force Awakens, they too were overjoyed when they finally got to see this latest saga. And I'm convinced that, that uh, George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, when he saw the numbers and the revenue that was being generated, he too was overjoyed at Star Wars. The nation has been captured this season, this Christmas season, with Star, For Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Back in the 80s, when our kids were small, uh, they were excited about it. Lance and Rocky, and I guess I was too. And uh, it was 
fun to see all those movies through that era. And uh, Rocky especially was taken with it. He had the action figures. Uh, he had a whole Ewoks village. I wish we still had that. And uh, now, 30 years later, over 30 years later, Rocky is sharing the excitement with his little son, Brooks, who's five years of age. I mean, they've been gearing up at hyperspace speed to watch the movies, the early movies, so he'd be ready for this one. A year and a half ago, when Brooks was four and they were on their way to the islands, they stopped in Disneyland. And uh, he, Brooks, was selected out of a crowd to come up on the stage and, and to be trained with a lightsaber and become a Jedi Knight and fight Darth Vader. Wow, it's the highlight of his life. And uh, there he is, you know. And then last week, I was in Kmart, and I just texted this to him to show him that I was with the force too, you know, standing against the dark side. Well, anyway, it's fun. It's entertaining, Star Wars, and it's fictional. The real Star Wars is told of in the Bible, a cosmic war that's being waged between good and evil. There really is a battle in the heavenlies, according to Scripture, where good is pitted against evil because the Bible says God created an earth that was good for his people. He created all kinds of things in this earth, and after each facet of that creation, he pronounced that it was good. But when he reached the pinnacle of his creation, when he created man in his image, male and female, he created them, he pronounced that it was very good. But a sinister, evil force came into this earth. You could call it the dark side. A force that hated God and good and his creatures. And he tempted that couple and they succumbed to their own desires and turned away from God's good plan for them. And down through the ages, as we have perpetuated that lifestyle of sin, all hell has broke loose on this earth. There is not only sin in our world, there's a fallen creation that is in rebellion against God. There are natural disasters, as we hear of yesterday in Mississippi, where many lost their lives to a tornado. There are wars. There are famines. There's disease. We're all touched by it. I mean, this past week, I stood with precious mother and wife and her three children by the bedside of husband and daddy as they said their goodbyes to him as he was on life support. Yesterday I received a frantic phone call from a distressed woman who was hoping to get out of her marriage, looking to how she could divorce her husband. We're all touched by the brokenness in our world. This world's a mess. Do you know something? That's exactly the kind of world that Jesus stepped into as a babe in Bethlehem. When he came to wage war against evil and to overcome it. And you know how he did it? By absorbing it. He could have come in power. I mean, he could have come in such awe and power that it would have made the Death Star's laser uh, look like a kid's toy. But no, that's the amazing thing. He came as a tiny, vulnerable baby born to a peasant couple in Palestine. Amazing when you think about it. That's the Christmas story.
And, and I'd like to ask you to consider a couple of things this Christmas as you think about that story because if you haven't come to a place of faith, of believing, I would challenge you to consider a couple of things. First, don't miss the climax of the story. Don't miss the climax of the story. You know, people celebrate Christmas every year. I mean, they may go all out with gifts and parties and family gatherings, decorating their home, decorating their office, wishing happy holidays to people. They may even attend a Christmas Eve service and miss the whole point, miss the main point of Christmas. Because the climax of Christmas was not the manger. It was the cross. That's why he came. Because it was on the cross where he paid the penalty for our sin. Where he, the righteous one, became unrighteous so that we might be forgiven. And so if we miss that, we've missed everything. Don't miss the climax. In fact, when Rocky, our son, was eight years old, the return of the Jedi came to Honolulu. And uh, it was his eighth birthday, and I remember loading Rocky and three of his third grade buddies up in our Toyota and driving down to the old Hawaii Cinerama Theater on King Street. That's where it was showing. We went into the theater. I got them each popcorn and a big gulp, and we went in. And you remember uh, in that old theater, there was concrete floor and these sloping seats up there? Well, we no longer, no sooner sat down than one of the kids knocked over his big gulp. Down it went. And I wondered what it would feel like to have that Coke sloshing around your shoes, but that's what happened. Well, the movie started, and it got increasingly exciting until, wow, boy, they were attacking the Death Star. They were shooting at it. Those Jedi Knights were flying in there. And I noticed some movement to my right. I looked over, and Rocky was just hopping from arm to arm on, on his seat and going back and forth, but his eyes were glued to the screen. I said, Rocky, are you okay? He said, I have to go to the bathroom badly. <laughs> but he didn't want to leave. So I grabbed him by the hand. I said, let's go. So we are going briskly up the aisle when all of a sudden, kaboom, and there's light just fills the theater. And we turned around, and they just blew up the Death Star. <laughs> and we'd missed it. But it was okay, because it was, after all, just a movie. But when it comes to the real Star Wars, the cosmic battle between good and evil, you don't want to miss the climax, the main point, and that is the cross of Christ, because that's where we find redemption, forgiveness, and the empty tomb, which promises us life. That's what Christmas is all about. The birth was essential because that's where he made his entrance. But it was the cross and the empty tomb that gives us redemption. Don't miss the climax of the Christmas story. Secondly, knowing the end of the story doesn't spoil it for you. Dee and I went the other night to see Star Wars The Force Awakens. Let me tell you about that show just kidding. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Because I read in the Star Advertiser yesterday that there was a guy in Montana. Some of you are going to leave. So there was a guy in Montana that threatened to shoot a kid who told him the subplot of the story. People get upset. 
By the way, don't tell me the score of the game. I'm taping it, okay? We don't like to know how things come out sometimes. But you know what? When it comes to the Christmas story, we'd be wise to check it out at the end because it might make a difference in the decision that we make here and now. Knowing the end of the Christmas story won't spoil it for you. Jesus spoke about the end. In fact, in this same gospel, in Matthew chapter 24, he speaks of the end of the age and talks about the signs of it. He said that there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be earthquakes and famine. There would be false prophets who would seek to mislead people. And then he said this, and there are stars involved in the end too. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Christ will return. And it'll be a day of triumph and glory for the elect, for those who've believed. But a day of disaster and mourning for those who have refused to believe. This Christmas season, we have an opportunity to check it out, the end of the story, and make a decision in this part of our story that'll prepare us for his coming. And by the way, if he delays his return, each of us, before all that long, is going to step right into his presence. And we'll either be greeted by our Savior or we'll face our judge. Depends on the decision we make now. And so I urge you, we won't have another chance at that point. Don't let this opportunity pass. Tonight, this season, to make a decision to believe in Jesus. That's the most important decision you'll ever make. This past year at Kamaki Christian, we've seen so many people find new life in Christ and see transformation in their lives. Dee and I lead a class called The Base Path in which people share their faith stories and tell us how they came to know Jesus. Some of them it's been just maybe weeks, others maybe years ago. I wish you could hear some of those stories like that of a woman who came to the islands angry, bitter, trying to escape her family on the mainland, or an atheistic, hard-drinking Chinese businessman, or a soldier who for 20 years ditched his faith while in the military, a frightened mother who was separated from her children and her husband. Each of these, and so many more, found a new life in Jesus Christ, peace, joy, fulfillment and purpose in life. I do want you to hear one of these stories firsthand via video from one of our young men, Kyle. Listen to what Kyle says. Hi, my name is Kyle Lin. I'm a member here at KCC and I'm here to tell you my story. My mom was pregnant with me uh, when she came here from Korea to Hawaii. My sister was about one years old. We're here meeting up with, our, with my dad. He, was, uh, he worked for Korean Airlines and he was uh, positioned here. 
uh, not Honolulu. So the idea was to stay here in Hawaii for, for about a year and then fly back to Korea. Um, just fly back home, I guess you could say. What happened though was uh, my father passed away soon after we landed here in Hawaii. So we, we stayed. And I think my mom did what a lot of people do when, when they lose a loved one. She, she tried to find a reason why. So she, she went to church, eventually became a Jehovah's Witness. So every, every Sunday, well, we would go to Kingdom Hall, me, my sister, and my mom. And I guess, you know, later on, you know, well into my teens, I guess she, she stopped going to, uh, to Kingdom Hall. I guess she, she didn't find her answer. And I stopped going as well. I didn't find my answer as well. I didn't know who Jesus really was at that point. As I grew into my late teens, you know, I really, I really was drawn to science. Science was kind of like fantasy for this world. It was the closest I could get to fantasy for this world. It was like magic here. I thought, you know, I thought science would be able to answer all the questions that I had. I thought science would, you know, this, this feeling inside of me that was, that was feeling a little empty, I thought science could fill it, you know, with, um, with this, and the, next, the next new discovery or each new discovery. It always left me wanting, like it never answered the question why. You know, why, why am I here? Why are any of us here? You know, why, is, why does science work the way that it does? It just, it just left this gaping hole inside of me. Um, and even though there, were, there was this, this hole inside of me, you know, all I had was square pegs to fill that hole. And you, know, you just gotta make do with that. So I became really content with life. And I think um, science couldn't answer those questions. I felt like you know, that, that was how life was. And I just learned to be content. And that contentness kind of, kind of bled into all other parts of my life. I think it was, um, it was definitely after my divorce that uh, I realized that I was hurting people uh, being this way, being this content. Uh, even in my marriage, I was always halfway in and halfway out. Um, I had one foot in and one foot out, and at least that way the door could never close, so all my options were always available, and I had a, I had a way out. And, I had a, and they were always equally good, these options. You know, so if, you know, stay married, get divorced. Um, stay at this job, leave this job. Believe or don't believe, it didn't really matter to me. Whatever the outcome was, uh, I would be okay with it. But I was willing to pay that price alone, but when I saw that it was affecting uh, others, and they were paying that price as well, uh, I felt like I had to change, or I needed to change. Uh, so at that point, one night in my apartment, uh, I, was, I was alone, and you know, I was at this place where I felt like you know, I had to make a choice one way or another. You know, I kind of lifted that square peg that was inside of me. It was stuck, you know, it was pretty much stuck there. For, it was there for all these years. Uh, and then I lifted it up and I went into that pit, you know, that hole inside of me. And I was really depressed at that point. That was the most depressed that I've ever been. Uh, I felt really helpless and really hopeless. Uh, at that point, I said, you know what? Either I'm going to fill this hole or bury it, but I'm not going to return to it. Uh, and I knew what that hole was. That hole was a question of why. And to me, that was God. So here I was with all my doubts about Christianity, about God, you know, all my reservations, all the arguments I had, and I kind of laid it all on the table. Um, I said, you know, if this, if this God is real, then this is uh, the price of admission, and he wouldn't want to cheat me. I read books from atheists and agnostics, and you know, they made strong cases for no God, or a God we could never know, of a superstition that we should have grown out of a long time ago. Uh, as I spoke with my Christian friends, I, and I argued with them about this, it wasn't only approving about well, it wasn't only about proving that, you know, their, their God was real. It was about proving that their God was a God that you know, was worth following. So, as I started studying Jesus and I read about his life, you know, I read about the historical Jesus' life and I read about, and I read the New Testament, it kind of struck me at how, how authentic it all was. Like, the way that it was written, you know, the, the accounts of all these people, it was so genuine and so real. I felt like, you know, this, I felt like he was a more, you know, he was a, he was a, 
It was more of a real person than uh, the people I know today. It was just like, he was that authentic to me. And I think that's what really turned the corner for me is that this was a God who became fully human. Like, you know, this, this was a shocking to me. It was just like a revelation, I guess you could say. Uh, but at the end of this journey, I found myself, you know, believing unequivocally uh, these three things that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for each one of us, and that He was resurrected on the third day. So at that point, I found myself in the most profound and literal way a Christian. Um, you know, it, just, it was just an amazing miracle. Like, if you ask any of my friends, it's gonna, they're going to tell you that it's a miracle that I came to that, that decision. So, like, you know, it's the only decision that really matters in our lifetimes. I finally had my answer. So, uh, you know, on Easter of this year, in a darkened church, I raised my hand to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in July, I was baptized. And it was a long road, it was a crazy road, but you know, eventually I got here. Jesus also taught me that, you know, it's okay to be content, you know, like how I was before, but on certain matters, it's not okay. Like, you know, when it comes to God, being content can be the most dangerous thing. Um, you know, you don't want to have one foot in and one foot out when God closes that door on you. So it's just, I think he also taught me that why was an important question. Why is kind of like, you know, the voice of the discontent, I guess you could say that's my opinion. It is, it's, you know, people who are content normally don't ask why, and why was what really brought, brought me to Christ, I could say. So um, what I really appreciate is that when, when I talk to people, or when I hear people or read about people um, who, are, who are angry and they ask, you know, why, why should I believe in Jesus? I, I can't help but smile a little bit because I know that uh, they're closer to him than they realize. you listen to Kyle's story, and I've heard it three times in these services this evening, wow, there are so many facets to this story. But uh, he looked in religion, didn't find it. Looked in science, still came up empty. Interestingly, uh, Blaise Pascal, one of the early modern scientists in the 16th century who became a devout Christian, said that inside of each one of us is a God-shaped vacuum. And we can try to fill it with all kinds of things, but until we fill it with Christ, we're going to remain empty. Well, he said he came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and he rose again. That's the gospel. Some of you may be at that point tonight, really ready finally to accept Jesus, to receive him and all the gifts that he gives you, which is forgiveness, his presence, real purpose and meaning in this life, and life that lasts forever. Tonight, we are going to have our candle lighting ceremony. And it's a ceremony, symbolic, but it can be much more than that if you have come to faith, if you're finally ready to believe. Because when your candle is lit, if you breathe a prayer and you're sincere and you invite Jesus to come into your life, uh, that'll be more than a symbolic candle. That'll have eternal meaning for you. And I urge you to do that tonight. Just not walk away from here uh, just saying, well, it was a nice service if you're at the point of believing because this could be an eternal decision for you. So this is the Christ candle right here. And it represents Jesus because he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me, he shall not walk in darkness. In our own sin, in our own minds, we're walking in darkness. But when you turn to him, the light of Christ comes into our lives. We're forgiven. 
we can have, have his guidance in our lives. So we'll light candles symbolizing him coming into each of our lives and uh, make it meaningful personally tonight.